Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. topic today is being a parent without living children, and our guest is Kay Bevington. Kay Bevington's only child, Rhonda, died in 1980 at age 16. A grief counselor as well as the author of two books and the TCF brochure, The Death of an Only Child, Kay was a co-founder of the Van Wert, Ohio chapter of TCF. Kay has presented workshops for the TCF regional and national conferences since 1990 and founded Alive Alone an international support organization for bereaved parents with no surviving children. Welcome to the show, Kay. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be able to be on today. Well, it's great to have you on. Now, you're in Ohio, right? Exactly. And you said you've had a little flooding there. Yes, quite a little bit. We've Mm -hmm. had a drought all summer, and then this last, here a few days ago, we had quite a bit of flooding, about 10, 11 inches. And some of the towns are in quite bad shape, and there was a death of a young man. Mm-hmm. Just east of us, so we want to offer our condolences to those people and to those who've lost some other things in their homes. So that's mm-hmm. always difficult. It's a special kind of grief. Absolutely. Especially things that can't be replaced. Right. Yeah, albums and right, pictures. Right, exactly. memories of yeah. people. Yeah, mm-hmm. very tough. Uh, it's very tough for a situation. Well, Kay, uh, speaking of tough situations, you have... Um, come through and, and dealt with a very difficult situation, having the death of an only child. Could you talk a little bit about Rhonda and about her her death, and, and then we want to go into how you've survived and how you and your husband, I, your husband has set up the organization, right? Yes. Exactly. Alive Alone, and we want to talk about it. It's a wonderful organization. But could you start out with telling us a little bit about Rhonda? She's a yes. beautiful girl, by the way, and I want to say if you go to the Alive Alone website, you can see a wonderful picture of her. Now, Rhonda was, um, she just lacked two months of being 16 years old, and as most teenagers, she was very active in her school and many organizations and, of course, in her church. And um, she was the center of our life, you know. When, I, I, when you have children, and especially when they're still at home, I think, you know, that you see them 24-7, mm-hmm. they're an integral part of your life. And... With an only child, you invest all of your time, love, energy, and resources in that one child. And so we were very close. She often told me that I was not only her mother, but like a sister and her best friend. Oh, that's wonderful. And, of course, she was real close to her dad, too. And Mm -hmm. the three of us, you know, traveled a lot and camped and had some great times together. That doesn't mean everything was perfect. We also argued. (laughs) For sure. I think we have to be honest with that as bereaved people. Um, people don't want to talk about our children if we glorify them and make put them on a pedestal and make them perfect because just like us, none of them were. Right. Yeah, certainly have their own and, personality. And, and some of the the funniest times were times maybe where when my brother wasn't perfect. That's right. So right. we want to remember them as they really were because that, that makes an interesting person, a real person. And I think it's easier for others, whether it be siblings, uh, cousins, friends, whatever, to uh, relate to you as a brief parent and talk to you, uh, not only as a brief parent, but as a brief sibling or grandparent, if we don't idolize that person that died, you know. 
You know, that's an interesting point, and I do want to talk a little bit more about Rhonda, about how she died, but I don't want to lose this piece, and that is I would imagine for a parent who has lost an only child, whereas if you have other children, you you can't glorify them. You should be careful you don't because of the other children. Well, and the other children one, will also set you straight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, where, but you could glorify them, couldn't you, if it was one? And, and it would do you a disservice because it wouldn't make, as Heidi said, everyone know the whole person. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I think that we probably, those of us with no surviving children, end up, doing more what I've called reinvestments of um, not glorifying them but perhaps doing things to honor their life and their memory simply because we have no surviving children with which to deal and so we spend that time, that love, energy, and resources in that, you know, whether it be a scholarship fund or doing things in their memory. But we, we dare not idolize them or glorify them. Mm-hmm. because then those that knew them knew they weren't perfect. <laughs> right. Well, tell us a little bit more about uh, Rhonda and how she died. Um, Rhonda became ill, um, let me think, it was late in April with a chronic cough. And what? Yeah, how long ago was this? That was in 1980. Mm-hmm. And chronic cough and laryngitis, uh, which led into pneumonia and was in the hospital a couple weeks and then back home for several weeks. But just continued with this cough and laryngitis and uh, was very lethargic. And so uh, after seeing several specialists, they decided they would do a CAT scan. I remember that was 27 years ago, so the technology was different than it is today. Mm-hmm. But they found they found what they thought might be a, a mass hidden behind the breastbone, but they weren't sure. And so uh, in July on the 20th, Second, we were supposed to go into the hospital, and she was to have what was thought to be a routine biopsy early on the 24th. Well, it ended up that routine biopsy was a four-hour surgery, and she Mm -hmm. died of a capillary collapse due to the anesthetic um, after that surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, Later than the biopsy and the surgery, they found that there was lymphoma and Mm -hmm. that it was um, expanding into the lungs and therefore uh, closing off the oxygen to the one lung, and that's why the capillary collapsed. But it was such a shock because at no time did anyone say to us, this could be life-threatening, you know. Mm -hmm. We just weren't expecting that. And she had said, "Um, Mom, where will the scar be? It won't show here in a couple weeks when I get ready for school, will it? So... um, it, it was quite a shock to So Ella. you were just expecting she'd walk away with a scar and that would be the end of it. That's right. That's right. amazing. That's mm-hmm. awful. Now, did you have any, um, I know with this sudden death and, and with this kind of thing, sometimes we have folks tell us that they feel like they could have gotten her earlier, gotten treatment, or they should have known. Or Did you have any of those feelings, you or your husband? Um, since then I have because um, I've then realized later, got to thinking about it, that most of the, my aunts and uncles on my mother's side had died of cancer and several relatives, and so it, it was in the family, but I didn't think about that at the time. And, and I would think with the child you wouldn't think about it. No, no, you don't. Uh-uh. I just know some of our folks uh, really beat themselves up a lot about that, and uh, you just did the best you can, you can at the time, and, and it just kind of goes along. Life happens right. the way it happens. And, right, and I did the same thing. You know, you... 
you blame yourself for signing the papers for the surgery and all. But, but the surgeons told us later, you know, had we not uh, agreed to go ahead and do this, that because of the coughing spell she would get where it was difficult sometimes for her to breathe, that she most likely would have coughed and choked and died. And I thought, oh, that oh, would goodness. have been so much worse, you know. But yeah. You do, like you said, you do the best you can at the time, and yeah, there's a period of time, I think, when everyone beats themselves up about, why didn't I go see a different doctor, or go to a different hospital, or why did I give them that motorcycle or that car, or why didn't I see the signs of suicide, or, you know, mm-hmm. we, we should upon ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Well, Kay, um, you're just such an impressive person. I know my friend uh, and um, fellow board member of the Compassionate Friends of Rick Yachty was one that said, oh, you've got to have Kay on the show. She's such a fabulous person. And, and Rick's, both of his uh, boys got, have died. And he is a parent without living children. And um, he just uh, talked, had so much wonderful things to say about Alive Alone and the fact that you folks get together for some of the holidays and things. And um, I wanted to uh, I just let our audience know that uh, Rhonda died 27 years ago. And I would uh, highly recommend that you go on their website, Kay's website. Um, what is your website, Kay? The it's AliveAlone.org. AliveAlone.org. Okay. And even if you do have living children, it, it's a wonderful place to go and hear music and read about Rhonda. And um, could you tell us a little bit about how you, after Rhonda's death, were you a therapist at that time, a grief counselor? No, no, I was not. I have taught school all my life. Uh-huh. And um, it was, oh, goodness, probably in the 90s that I started taking some classes on counseling and, of course, have have, um, attended so many of the professional workshops at Compassionate Friends, you know. Uh So I started doing some of that sometime, I think it was in the late 90s. Currently, I am retired from teaching and... What grade did you teach? Oh, everything from kindergarten through sixth grade was an Uh elementary teacher. Uh Uh-huh. And I no longer uh, work with the funeral homes either. We've just kind of retired and stay busy with Alive Alone and some of the things in our community and church. And we like to travel. So we decided that, hey, too many people work too long in their lives. You need to take some time and enjoy what time you have. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, tell us about after Rhonda died, um, did you keep teaching? Yes, I did. Was that difficult? No. because I had always wanted to teach from the time I was a small child, um, that was a part of my life before we had Rhonda. And because I was teaching younger children, um, it probably was the best thing I could ever do for myself was to go back. And smaller children just give so much unconditional love mm-hmm. that I kind of adopted the classes every year as my own, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think I've found that most of the people I've talked to that are teaching, especially if you're not teaching the same age group as mm-hmm. your child, that you enjoy that. Although I have found a lot of people with no surviving children makes them very difficult to, it is just hard for them to be around children for a, several years. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, it, that's interesting. So for our audience to know that it may be difficult for a couple of years. Yeah, to maybe be even longer. You know, even... And for those who um, may be listening that um, have relatives or friends that 
people that have no surviving children, it's not surprising for them not to feel comfortable around families that are so-called intact at the holidays. Mm. It's just so hard, you know, to be around people who are exchanging gifts and having a good time and you have no children. I've also heard, Kay, that it, it can be hard, and you can tell me more about this, during different life stages. For example, when Rhonda or someone else would have had grandchildren. Yes. And uh, you see your friends with grandchildren. Um, I know Rick Yachty said that that was difficult initially. It, it really is. You know? Actually, Rick was telling me that it's getting difficult now. And yeah, it's been many years boy. ago because now everybody's having grandkids. Right. 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 Has hit his, their friends are at the age where they are. And, of course, our situation is that Rhonda would have been 43. I mean, that really makes me old. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you do. You see your friends' children who are or friends that were friends to your child who graduate, and that's hard, you know, or they go off to college and they get married, or your nieces and nephews get married, and you know that you'll never have that. We had great nieces and nephews get married this summer. In fact, we had four weddings. And uh, still, after all those years, when those kids come down the aisle with their father or they light the unity candle, that's still very difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. So and it tugs at your heart. Yeah, it does. And, and it would for people who have surviving children too you know you know i think that's that's great that you're that you feel that so strongly and are able to state it because i think a lot of us a lot of people are surprised it kind of sneaks up on them and and we do try to tell people on the show that don't be surprised you know it may be um you know you go through this cycle even though it's been years and years uh you do connect with them in different and, ways and different things trigger the loss i mean i work with kids that have firefighter fathers dying the trade center and when they see friends with fathers, for a moment they, they have jealousy. Definitely. I mean, they want their fathers. Right. Yeah. I know when I was teaching, I often would be very aware of that when we would do things for Mother's Day or Father's Day that there are children in the classroom that do not have a mother or a father or their mother or father is deceased and they have stepfathers, you know. Mm-hmm. So those situations are difficult, you know, and it doesn't just mean it's little children. It happens with adults, too. Absolutely. You know? and, and how long after Rhonda died, Kay, did you begin teaching again? Oh, well, Rhonda died uh, July 24th, and I started teaching at the end of August. Hmm. Now, did the kids in your class ask know about Rhonda's death, or did they ask you questions about it when you first got back, and how was that for you? Yeah, we live in a small community of about 12,000 in our town, 18,000 in the county, and Most of the students knew that. Um, Also, I had a teacher that taught next door to me that had had a son die when he was younger, uh, Mm -hmm. several years prior. So she was very kind to come over that first day and with me. And, you know, we talked to the kids, even though they knew that. Um, So that helped a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had told the kids in, in my classroom that there would be times when I would cry or it would get the most best of me and I might have to leave the room for a few seconds or just let me get myself back together and they were very understanding at the time I was teaching fourth grade and then also fifth and sixth social studies Mm -hmm. and uh, the children were wonderful in fact I find children and young adults 
uh, teenagers to be more understanding and open than what many adults are. They're not nearly as uncomfortable with death. I agree with you. They're just right out front about it. It's not scary right. for them. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us, how was your principal? Oh, he was great. We had no problem at all, you know. Now, did you feel like you, did you have to educate some people? Oh, yes. That's, I think for, for everyone who's bereaved, no matter what the loss is, uh, unfortunately, we not only have to go through a grieving process, but we also have to be educators in telling, you know, our communities and anyone we meet uh, what they need to do for us and try to explain, you know, what we're going through. There's no way anyone can understand unless they go through a very similar loss themselves. But, yeah, you become an educator on grief. Could, could you give our audience, uh, for people who are newly briefed, some tips on how they might educate or what they might say? Well, I think that I was always very open and just simply, you know, said that uh, Rhonda had died and that it was so devastating that there is no way that I was going to be the same kind of person I was before and told them that I wanted them to talk about her, you know, to share their memories and stories and, you know, to not to ignore it, uh, to please say her name. And a lot of people have thanked me years later for that, you know. And also, not just tell them, but, you know, to write them, write letters, you know. Maybe at the holiday you could, you know, construct a letter here this fall and have it ready to put in holiday greeting cards, letting people know the kinds of things they can do for you. I love that idea. You're teaching people how to be good grief support. Yeah. That is such a good idea to put it in your holiday card. Mm-hmm. These are the things that would be helpful or that people that are grieving need. Or... And also, you know, to let them know that to send cards a month later or two months later is sometimes better than right away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never too late or the anniversary date of a birth date or a death date. And, you know, little gifts of things. Like I have a, a good friend who every year for Mother's Day has given me a rose bush. Mm-hmm. What a nice thing. We had someone, the wine printers, I, I, uh, who did a, a Santa Claus thing at Christmas, you know, an elf thing where they left a, a secret gift. We I think that's that. who it was every day. And you didn't know who it was. And we it's didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so nice. And that was our first Christmas, and that was really fun. Right. Uh, before Christmas, so mm-hmm. little things like that. I love the idea of the note and the holiday card, and I'm thinking, you know, people could even put a little Thanksgiving, you know, send a Thanksgiving card with a little note in it or, right. you know, if they get so inspired about things that they can do. I was thinking uh, maybe um, I'm, I'm going to remind you before Christmas and ask you if you can send something to our blog, uh, a letter that people could send. Okay. Uh, I think that would be a good idea, Heidi. Yeah, I think it would be great. And it's, In and fact, we could put example. it on now. If you want to write something for the holidays, uh, uh, you know, any kind of a holiday that's coming up for you, here's a letter that you could write. Okay. I would love that. Well, and it's a good idea at that time to ask people to share memories, you know, of your child or if it's a spouse that died or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they could send them to you then in their holiday cards or that's whenever. That's good. I've actually heard someone say that. They said that they sent out all these letters of people saying, please send me memories, and then they put a book together of memories that they never had had, new, new stories. Right. And that's, that's, that yeah, that's something another family member could do for you, too, or if you mm-hmm. uh, your child had siblings, something somebody can do. And maybe a husband. Sometimes men like to be active. That might be right. something that a dad could do. Or, um, we have 
yeah. friends, uh, Penny and Ray Young, who were from California. They're now missionaries in Portugal. But when their son was going to be 21, they wrote uh, 21 memories of mm. Matthew, oh, their I son. Like and they sent those to friends and relatives, you know, via postal mail and email, and then ask everyone to send them a memory back. And it was amazing the kinds of things they did. That's fun, and it's never too late to do that, is it? Right. Oh, that no. Is, that's a good idea. Wonderful ideas. Thank you. Well, Kay, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your husband and and, and men in general with your Alive Alone and being a counselor. Uh, have you seen anything different uh, for the men in, with their loss or how they've handled it? I didn't understand. What did you say? Have you seen any difference in men with their loss as opposed to women? Yeah, definitely. Um, Men generally, you know, this this is just in general, not always, seem to um, hide their feelings, don't Mm -hmm. express it as much. Uh, They grieve uh, as much as we do, but just in a total different way. My husband was one who never cried, still doesn't. Uh, I think I've only seen him cry two times in the 40-some years that we've been married. Um, and he he, get, he would get upset with me because I cried a lot. But um, I think the biggest thing what, that helped us was attending Compassionate Friends meetings and listening to how, you know, people of opposite sex relate and uh, how the grief process works differently for both of them. And, and then often tend not to be the writers as well as the talkers, although I have some really great articles from men, you know, who do write. Mm -hmm. But they seem to be fewer. I've also noticed at conferences and support group meetings that there seems to be more women attend than Mm -hmm. there are men, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think uh, that's been my experience, too. Um, The men tell me that uh, they're kind of doers and they want to do something Right. Kind of not sit. Right. But, however, like our friend Dave Pellegrin said, he, um, for a while, he just went and he, you know, to a support group. He lives in Hawaii. And he said eventually he really liked hearing all the stories, mm-hmm. but it took a while. Yeah, my husband was that way. I know a lot of women will say, I can't get my husband to go to a conference. And I said, well, mine didn't particularly want to go and the first few years he'd go he didn't register he would stand in the hallways and talk to people and then you know i don't know three four years afterwards i guess he said why don't you register me you know and he started attending then the sessions so i just tell him to be patient and encourage them to attend you know i did just make him go to our local support group meetings and then it was interesting i found he would come home from work and tell me different ones he'd talked to and things he'd said, and I thought, mm-hmm, it is helping. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I also heard someone that was running a, a chapter say that she would have the men do things, like, can you set the chairs up, can you yes. do this and that for me, to get them actively involved, because they, like my mom said, were comfortable doing things. Right. Well, and it's so important, I think, as chapter leaders, that if the women can get men to attend and be there, even if they're not in a leadership position, because you find that if there are males in attendance, other men will come, mm-hmm. whereas it, it mm-hmm. seems to be mostly women. The men tend to shy away from attending. Mm-hmm. So don't get discouraged and don't be surprised. I think if your husband isn't or your uh, partner 
uh, doesn't seem to want to go, maybe they can go for you for a while. Right. Right. And, and one of the things I think is, is recommended that people go three times, right? Oh, at least, yeah. I think one of the best things at the Compassionate Friends um, National uh, what was it, conference this year in Oklahoma City was the, was the men's panel. Yes. And um, there was one that I actually got to see and, and got to hear the male experience, and it was so helpful for me as a female hearing what men are going through and hearing the way that they grieve. Yeah, they they do grieve differently, but yet they hurt just as bad. You know? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Well, could you give our audience an idea of how you took care of yourself after Rhonda's death? Well, I think the biggest thing that I did was I just read everything I could possibly do, you know, just anything I could find to read about grief I did. Um, told my story hundreds and hundreds of times to hundreds of different people. Um I did not take care of myself physically. I know I didn't eat right, didn't exercise right, um, but I did not take medications. I fortunately was able to, to get by without that. Um, had difficulty sleeping, I know, would get up at night and read. And, of course, now um, it's convenient for people to be able to get online, you know, to read mm-hmm. some th- material And you online. can listen to the radio show online. Yes, right, and talk to other people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but and attending a support group, you know, I think that is just vitally important. Also, we became active. And and how long after Rana's death did you become active? Um, it was in January after she died in July because our okay. local funeral home and another couple who were bereaved a year longer than we were, um, the four of us in the local funeral home supported us, and we started our chapter in February. Uh, started working on it in January, in February 81, after Rhonda died in July of 80. And I did not work in a leadership position as far as chapter leader, but I did the newsletter, and I found that was very helpful. So you started a chapter. Mm-hmm. I think that's important for our audience to hear because uh, there, for some of them there is not a chapter in their area, mm-hmm. but they how would they go about doing that? Well, you would have to contact the National Office of Compassionate Friends and they will give you information about how to start a, a local chapter. Mm-hmm. And they've got some uh, three-step process, and I think they're asking for you to be 18 months out of your loss. Yes. At that time, of course, there weren't as many chapters, but now there are more, and so you, they do want you to be a little further into your grief, which I think is very important, you know. Because mm-hmm. it, it is a, a responsibility. But I think this uh, idea, and Heidi and I have talked about it before, uh, once you can start reaching out and giving service, even small service like Heidi was talking about, the men moving the chairs, mm-hmm. even bringing a cookie, writing a poem, you know, come onto our blog and write a note. You know, any little things that you can do kind of get you on starting on the healing process. Oh, definitely. Reaching even out. approaching someone else and saying, I feel your pain. I, I've lost a child also or a sibling also. Mm-hmm. Right. And some people are good writers. They might want to write letters to the newly bereaved, you know. There's all kinds of ways. And you can write things for you, right? Right. For your mm-hmm. um, website. Yes. Your live alone website. And our newsletter, we publish a, a periodical uh, every other month. Uh, and it's strictly written by parents with no surviving children or by professionals for uh, 
those of us with no surviving children. Now, when you when Rhonda died 27 years ago, you didn't find anything on childless. No, right? no. Talk about that a little bit. That's pretty <laughs> devastating. It is. The only book even was um, Harriet Schiff's book, The Brief Parent. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a long, slow process. And I know Compassionate Friends asked Don Hackett and I to do a brochure. And the brochure ended up being the book, Now Childless. And then later, a few years later, we did uh, the brochure also. Now, how can I know they can go online to the CompassionateFriends.org website and uh, download the, the uh, brochure, right? Yes. You Parents can. who are now, now childless. How about the book? Unfortunately, the book is currently out of print. We need to uh, update that and get it reprinted. Mm-hmm. But you, um, but you can get the brochure. Yes, you can get the brochure, and we have an alive alone booklet that we will send to people. Oh, great! So, how do they get that? They go to the alive alone website. They can go to the alive alone uh, website, and um, they can sign up right there. There's a subscription part for that. They could also write to us. Our address is 1112 Champagne Drive, and Champagne is spelled C-H-A-M-P-A-I-G-N, and it's at Van Wert, uh, V-A-N-W-E-R-T, Ohio, 45891, and we will send them a packet that has a booklet and a couple of recent newsletters. Great. That sounds wonderful. Well, tell me, I wanted to ask you, what kind of comments did you get from friends and family um, that you had to deal with? At first, I think people were pretty supportive. Um, As you go through life, later years, people tend to forget about your child and uh, want you to forget and go on. I think the hardest thing for any of us is when people tell you that, the person is deceased and you need to go on with your life, you know. You think, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I'd like to, but how do I do that, you know. Now, did you have somebody specifically say that to you? Did you remember? Oh, yeah. You have uh, people that you know, even family members sometimes say and do things that are very hurtful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything specific to having an only child? Um, I think that probably the most difficult thing is that people will, sometimes make a comment like, well, why didn't you have other children? Mm. Well, in most cases, you would would have had you been able to, but mm-hmm. for some reason or other, some of us never were able to have other children. So that's very devastating. Yeah, and also, know. even if you had another child, which, I mean, would definitely change your role, but Rhonda is Rhonda. And that's nobody right. is going to replace the love that you have for her, the loss that you feel for her. That's exactly right. As though other children would make make you not grieve as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Or yeah, or be a replacement. And I think they do that mm-hmm. um, to people who are bereaved. They almost look at it like you're replacing someone like a puppy. And mm-hmm. you know, I realize some people are very close to their animals too, but it's different. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, about your special events that you have for uh, the childless. Yes. About every two years, we try to, to do a conference someplace in the United States. Um, back in the uh, 90s, about every two years, Linda and Glenn Nielsen would do a conference, which we called In Loving Memory. It was in the Washington, D.C. area. I think they had five or six of them. And then they quit doing that. And then um, two different years, Sandy Fox has had them for us mm. in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
fact, the last one we had was in April. And then uh, my husband and I, because it will be uh, 20 years that we've done um, the Alive Alone periodical, we hope to be able to sponsor a conference for those with no surviving children in the Midwest, which will probably be Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the fall of uh, 09. Mm-hmm. So every two years we try to do that. And in the meantime, uh, we encourage bereaved parents to attend Compassionate Friends, Bereaved Parents of USA, Parents of Murdered Children, um, those national conferences, because most of those have tracks now for um, those of us with no surviving children. And that's, that's nice because they can attend the workshops for people with surviving children with those things that are in common, and yet they can also attend the special seminars for the unique aspects of being childless. Mm-hmm. So that works out real well, too. Mm-hmm. And, and we had Sandy Fox on our show as a guest, if anyone wants to hear that in our archives. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I can't lay my hands on it right now, but I think it was what Heidi uh Mm, about uh, three months ago. I was going to say, I think maybe, was it March or May? I'm yeah, not sure. Like that. Yeah. It was close to the time we did the conference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, do you have any uh, special rituals or things that you do uh, in memory of Rhonda? Now we no longer do. Um, I know that a lot of people... Uh, those first several years will do maybe a balloon release at the cemetery or they may have friends or family in at the time of the child's birthday. Uh, some even have, you know, birthday cakes, play music. They'll uh, show some uh, videos, you know, of the child. Um, the, the main thing that we do in memory of Rhonda, we do a scholarship every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, you know, very important. Now, where do you, where do, you do the scholarship? Uh, ours is given on Christian character and leadership, and it's given through our church. Mm-hmm. And we have, a, we have a selection committee. We give two $1,000 scholarships towards two high school seniors who are going to college every year. I would like to um, talk a little bit about your idea of reinvesting in life as a grief counselor and, and as a bereaved parent, um, I wondered what advice about reinvesting you could have for our folks out there. Well, I always tell people that it's so important to commemorate your loved one and to take the memories of the past and the love that you shared with that person into the future. And in doing that, uh, it not only keeps their memory alive, but it gives meaning and purpose to our lives. And there are just so many wonderful things that people have done in memory of their children, you know. Of course, very easily one would be, you know, creating scholarships. But um, you can think of any kind of an institution or organization that you're involved with and to look at uh, what is it that that institution or that organization would need. You know, how could you spend your time, your energy, your resources and do something in memory of that loved one through that institution? You know, and I tell people... um, if it's, it doesn't have to be lots of money. It could just be supporting a child uh, by buying a, a uniform for them for for a, you know a team that they're on or a band that they're in or you know something like that small or maybe it's donating up some books to the library, planting trees, you know that type of thing. But there are just so many things you can do, and if you take the interest 
that your loved one had and think about what is it they like to do or what did they enjoy, who did they enjoy being around, that will help you to find, you know, something that you could do in memory of their What a great idea. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I love this idea, but let me uh, just take you back a little bit. Could you have done that the first uh, year or three months or no? Uh, no, and I said, you know, the first two or three years of your grief, you need to do your grief work, you know, like we talked about earlier. And then uh, after that period of time, start thinking about, you know, how can you commemorate your loved one. So you're talking about, and you said you didn't take care of yourself physically enough. You would suggest to them that they take a walk around the block. And, oh, yes, and, definitely. Uh, and get into some kind of an exercise program. Uh, at least even that. a walk, just the yeah. beginning. Uh, you sitting know, out in the sun. Walk yeah. The, yeah, sitting in the sun. I mean, right. at the very beginning, that right. may be right. all you can ask of yourself. And to try to eat something that's nutritious. You know, it's very important. That, that's key. That. I was just talking to someone yesterday, a brief sibling, and he said, I would sit around and eat boxes of ding-dongs. Because oh, it was comfort yeah. food, right. you know? Right. But it's not so comforting in the end <laughs> when, you, <laughs> when you feel bloated or, well, exactly. or whatever. So. Exactly. So eating something healthy, if you can. Or well, not being uh, able to eat at all at first right. is often what happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I wanted to, we've only got uh, a, a couple more minutes, and we've really enjoyed having you on the show, and I would like to end the show with some of the unique aspects for those folks out there who have lost an only child. Now, for those with us with no surviving children, some of the things that are a little different is the fact that um, you no longer have anyone to invest that love, time, energy, and resources in because usually people who have surviving children end up reinvesting in those children or grandchildren. And who do you celebrate the holidays with? You know, that's very difficult. A group of us have gotten so we get together, you know, at the holidays and go different places. Um, also, we think about, okay, what am I going to do with all of my possessions or my children's possessions, like the photographs and things? Who's going to want some of those things? You know, that's a concern that we always have. Um, those are... are and you were talking about your old age. Yeah, oh, yeah. Who's going to take care of us when we get older, you know? And as we're aging, we think of those things, you know? Who's going to be there to be your advocate in the hospital or the nursing home? And there's no one to call you at the holidays, you know, whether it be Mother's Day, Father's Day, whatever. You go to reunions, and it's a family-oriented thing, and there's just you, yourself, or you and your spouse, you know. So those are are the things that make us different, and that's why it's so important that we connect with other bereaved parents like ourselves and create a networking system and so that we have people that we can call or email or write to or go visit, you know. We have a lot of people come and visit us at different times. They're traveling through Ohio, and, you know, we just enjoy uh, each other. We become extended family. And the wonderful thing about the Internet, Kay, is that our folks out there who are parents with no living children can get in touch with you. That's right. Through A Live Alone uh, mm-hmm. on your website. Could you give us that? It's AliveAloneIsIt.com. It's AliveAlone.org. .org. Okay, yes. org, and you can get in touch with Kay, and we'll also put that uh, website on our blog. Well, Kay, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's uh, been very enlightening, and also um, I, d- I just want to say that I just think that it's fabulous that you've done this organization, and I understand that you and your husband answer all the emails personally. Yes, we do. <laughs> so uh, what a wonderful gift to the world, don't you mm-hmm. think, Heidi? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having us on. We really appreciate that. 
Well, have a great day today. You too. Thanks again. Uh-huh. It's time to close our show. And- you have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.